0: Risen, it is risen wonderful to worship and celebrate with you this morning, and that is true. Uh, I want to invite, want to welcome all of you, uh, those who are here today as members of our church, and those who are here as guests. I want to want you to know it is our deepest honor to welcome you today in the name of Jesus Christ, and that's true whether you are joining us today, believing uh, in historic Christian faith, or whether you're here not quite sure what you believe or perhaps even believing something else, I want you to know it is our mission to show you hospitality uh, in the best way that we can. So we would love to uh, serve you and welcome you. uh, To that end, if you'd like to connect with us further, uh, you can sign up for our weekly emails by texting the word hey to the number on your screen, and it'll give you some information there to sign up. And that's just like a first step that you can take you know, to kind of get to know the church a little bit more. If you're saying, I've been visiting here, I want to take another step, super easy, send a text. You're welcome to do it right now, and um, we would love to connect with you further. I do have two uh, brief announcements for you. The first is that uh, Phoenixville Refuge will be having their next market day this Saturday, uh, and we believe this is a strategic ministry uh, that Ironworks is honored to partner with uh, in serving the Latino community Now, this happens to be the Saturday of the woman, as we say in Pennsylvania, as the woman's retreat. There's only one woman attending. It's the woman's retreat on Saturday morning. And so, uh, we especially want to ask for volunteers. So, do we have some, uh, if you sign up for our email list, you'll be getting emails about this, but um, we'd love for you to connect and serve uh, and join us in helping. Next announcement I have is our newcomers meetup. So if you are relatively what we call "newish to ironworks, we hope that you'll join us for a meetup over lunch or dessert on May 1st. It's a great way to learn about Ironworks, to get to know the staff and leaders and to meet new other, new, other newcomers as well. Uh, please RSVP uh, by hitting the link that's on your screen, and um, I guess there is no link on the screen. Well, uh, it should, should be in our worship guide in the back page there. Uh, we'd love to have you join us for that. At this time, I'm going to invite Craig to come up and uh, lead us in the pastoral prayer.
1: Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you have uh, conquered death, that you have uh, risen from the grave. Uh, Lord, we look around the world and we still see uh, the effects of death and sin. Lord, we we look at what's happening in Ukraine and and our heart breaks. Lord, we pray that you would that you would end the war there. That you would provide protection for those who are suffering, who are those who have lost lost loved ones. Lord, we pray that you would provide comfort. Lord, we pray that you would that you would remove Putin from power so that he would no longer be able to uh to wreak this sort of devastation. Lord, we we pray that you would that you would cause peace to spread, uh, that you would uh, cause suffering to be alleviated. Lord, we, we pray for the the ramifications of this that we have not seen yet. Uh, Lord, that um, the food shortages that may be coming for those who uh, are hungry, Lord, we pray that you would provide for them. We pray that you would, in your mercy, pour out grace. Lord, we, we ask that you would uh, be at work in the world, so that we might see you as a great and power, the great and powerful God that you are, that you would cause peace to go forth for your glory. Lord, we pray for our country, we pray for our town, that, uh, that you would promote peace and justice. We pr- pr- Lord, that you would cause our town to prosper. Lord, we pray for those who are sick, that you would provide healing, Lord, we pray that you would um, not allow the coronavirus to uh, to have a resurgence, but that you would cause it to, to be eradicated or, or neutralized. And Lord, we pray that you would be with us here this morning as we hear your word, as we uh, worship you, that you would meet us here, that you would change us uh, more and more into the image of Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.
0: Okay, well, let me invite you to turn uh, in your worship guide to page 12, and I'm going to read the passage that's printed there, and then invite you to respond um, as, as indicated below. Hear now these words from uh, the, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 50 through 58. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to this time and we have sung these songs. Uh, We have uh, responded uh, to the declaration that you are risen uh, as we enter into that this morning. But Lord, I recognize that we come here from all kinds of different places. Lord, even though we all typically are here festive Uh, and excited. Lord, I know that some are here, uh, and they are weighed down by their circumstances. They are weighed down by unfulfilled longings, Uh, some by worry and anxiety, others with deep uh, and long-term sickness in their bodies. Some are here uh, in crisis in their families, uh, and others are here in crisis of faith. And Lord, so I, I recognize, Lord, that we come from very different places, but I pray that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, that we do all ultimately come the same. Uh, Each and every one of us, from the smallest child uh, to the most senior saint, has come here with an overwhelming and unrelenting need to hear from you, to know you, to be changed by you. I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would open our eyes to behold your power and your glory, to enter into the reality of your resurrection and all that it means for us in our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome. It's great to be with you. One of the privileges I have as your pastor, uh, for those of you who allow me to, is that I have the privilege of walking with you as you face longings from the Lord, right? So for those of you who are here visiting, you don't have a pastor, you're wondering, what's the point in having a pastor? One of the points is that uh, when you have a pastor in your life, you're able to go to that person and say, I want to confide in you what I long for. And I would ask that you would pray with me. And one of the privileges I have is being able to do that. And in in some cases, not all, but in some cases, being able to celebrate with you when the Lord hears our prayers. Some of the the greatest uh, experiences I've ever had in this role is sometimes it takes one year, sometimes it takes two years, sometimes it takes five years to sit with a person or a couple or a family uh, having done battle in prayer, and then to celebrate, right? So I prayed with some of you for children. I prayed for some of you for your families. I prayed for jobs. I prayed for needs. I prayed for uh, all kinds of things now, but they all tend to have, they all tend to fall into these categories. And I want to ask you this morning, right? What are those things in your life that you are longing for today more than anything else? They do change, right? They do change. What is it that you are longing for today? The one or two things, top one or two things that you're longing for today more than anything else. Okay? You got it? Does anyone not have it? Is anyone so absolutely, completely content in life that you're like, Darren, I have no idea? If you are, I want you to mentor me. So I want you if <laughs> we can switch roles. I'll be the congregant, you be the pastor. Um, yeah, so we I wanna I wanna point this out, and I'm asking you this question because To understand Paul's argument in this passage, what he's trying to do is to bring out the relevance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in your daily lives. Okay, that is his mission in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, it's hard for us to probably appreciate this, um, but the early church, in fact, the church throughout all the ages has been a group of people that live in controversy, right? So some of you, you know, you think Ironworks has like less controversy than other churches, and we do, right? We're, and that's because we're chill. You wanna to get to know who Ironworks is? You wanna to get to know who I am? I'm just chill most of the time. I only get excited about a few different things, right? But usually someone comes in and they say, Darren, the church is on fire. And I'm like, really? Are you sure? Um, actually, it did happen once when Sam was doing his, you know, incense thing. We thought the church was on fire and like scared the maintenance people. Right, but most of the time, you know, we're chilled at controversy, but we do have controversies, right? If you remember, we had this mask mandate thing. That, does anyone remember masks, right? Some of you have them on, right? But we, you know, this was a big deal, uh, whatever it was, two years ago, right? And then we had this other controversy of like, you know, who's a Christian supposed to vote for, and this kind of thing. And then we still have, you know, this, in, in church more broadly in America, this controversy over how are we to think about gender, right? Some people have strong opinions disagreeing, right? And one of the things that this passage brings us into is the fact that the church having disagreements and controversy is not something that's new. I wonder if any of you could name the top, uh, what I think are the top two controversies in the New Testament. Does anyone know what they are? Any, anyone besides the Reverend Doctor? Yes, St. Patty. <laughs> You're going to have to scream because I can't hear you. Legalism. That was, yes, good, good. Legalism and expressed how, right? How is legalism expressed in the New Testament in its form of controversy? Does anyone remember? What was the number one question of legalism in the New Testament? Yeah, should you circumcise your sons, right? That was was where the battle was fought. And for us, right, I want to tell you, I have only been asked this question twice, okay? One of them was my wife. (laughs) And You know, I think I've gotten it from one other person. They just pull me aside and like, yo, pastor, we think we're having a boy. What do we do? And, you know, I just felt like I had earned every dollar that I had made in that decision because I was going to permanently affect the physicality of one of our newest members, you know, in my response, right? So that was was a controversy back then that was hugely, hugely significant, right, that we have record of in the New Testament. But there's a second one that comes up in at least two places, right? And that is the question of, do the dead rise, right? So this question is asked of our Lord Jesus. If you remember, Jesus was cornered and asked, said, hey, you know, the dead rise, who they married to, right? That, that was, these folks thought that they had Jesus cornered when they said, you know, how, if the dead are rise, then how does marriage work in heaven? And some of you have had that question, right? How does it work? Another sermon, right? And we see in this passage, what Paul does is he devotes an entire chapter. It's 58 verses to the question, do the dead rise? And why does it matter? And friends, this is kind of my pastoral heart for you this morning is I want to, I want to ask you the question, you know, what is it you long for? And then I want to follow up and say, has the resurrection, has the doctrine of the resurrection, has the teaching of the resurrection, has what we have celebrated this morning does it enter into to those moments and circumstances in any way, right? Is it relevant at all? Because if it's not entering into your longings, if it's not entering into your prayers, if it's not going into how you process those things, chances are high that you're missing it, right? And Paul is very eager to uh, avoid us going down that path this morning. So, I don't have the entire chapter printed for you. I'm going to read a couple points. Uh, what I want to do is just walk through his argument briefly. I'm going to spend a little bit of time on the earlier part that's not printed, and then uh, the rest of my time on the parts that's before you. The first thing that Paul does uh, in this chapter is he says very plainly, this teaching is of first importance. Right? This is not this is not an optional belief. By the way, if you're a Christian, you're like, I don't know whether to believe in the resurrection. But Paul wants to make very clear. He says, this is the farthest thing from optional, right? So, like, we have some members here who, you know, don't believe that you should baptize your children, right? And, and you know, and we pray for you if you're there, right? But we love you and we respect you and, and we're glad that you're still here with us, right? That's a point that can be disagreed upon. Paul says, though, in this issue, This is of first importance, he says. He says, I deliver to you, this is verse one, of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and then the 12, that he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, and then he appeared to James and then to the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely, He appeared to me. You see what Paul is doing there? The vast majority of the time in that paragraph, what is he saying? Christ rose. He appeared to this person, then to this group of people, then to more than 500 people, then to people who are still alive today that you can go talk to about their experience. And then, by the way, as to one untimely born, He appeared even to me. So that is the overarching concern. Paul says this doctrine is of the highest importance. But then he goes on in verse 12 to say this. He says, supposing that there is no resurrection, what does that mean? He says, but if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. He says, if there's no resurrection, it makes faith to be absolutely, 100%, overwhelmingly pointless, right? If you're here this morning and say there is no resurrection, Paul says you should be doing something else with your time this morning instead of sitting in church, instead of reading the Scriptures and hearing these things. He says your faith is pointless. It's absolutely in vain. He says, he goes on to say this, We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. Do You hear what he's saying? He's saying if Christ is not raised, then we deserve pity from our neighbors, pity from our uh, non-Christian colleagues at work. We deserve pity from the world because we are living our lives in the most foolish way imaginable. What's the implication of that? So much of the way that Paul was living his life and calling his people to live their lives, and God is, through the Scriptures, calling you to live your lives this morning. He's saying, all of these exhortations, they all hang on the certainty that you will be raised from the dead. And you take that away, he says, you should walk out right now. You should walk, you should not spend one second longer in church, but you should go find the closest drink, which many of you will do after church anyway, right? You should just eat and drink for tomorrow we die. You should, get, you should squeeze every moment of experience and pleasure out of this life because that is all there is. On the contrary, what Paul is laboring to bring out is that the resurrection is real, it has to be real, it's been attested to by more than 500 people who personally experienced this and then by Paul himself. And that brings us to the last part of this chapter which I have printed for you this morning. And I wanna look a little bit here Uh, at his argument one of the tools of bible interpretation that i use and so our wednesday men reviewed this passage i needed extra help today so shout out to them right they helped me review this and one of the things one of the tools that i use in my bible reading is oftentimes you can tell what's really important to the writer of the passage by the word that he uses the most right the word that gets the most repetition Right? And if you look at this passage, there's one that just rises to the surface and overwhelms all of the other words. Maybe you saw it. Anyone see it? Right? Anyone see it? What is it? It's the word perish. Right? He, goes, he labors repeatedly to talk about this idea of perishing. So, for example, it's in verse 50. He says, the perishable does not inherit the imperishable. He looks, talks about it in verse 50. 52, the dead will be raised imperishable. He talks about it in verse 53. He says this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And then he talks about it again in 54. The perishable must again put on the imperishable. So we discern from this method that Paul's primary concern is to talk about the perishability of the body. And his, over- his overriding point in that is that the, the property of perishing, right, does any, you know, do you guys know what that is? It's really easy to get a picture of this, right? Just buy something that's labeled on it perishable and then leave it in the sun for two weeks and then bring it in and see how it smells, right? That's all you have to do. Just buy something, go to the store, you can do an experiment, right? Go to the store, buy something that's perishable and then leave it in your hot car for two weeks and see how your car smells, Right? What what does it mean to perish, right? And it's this property of decay, right? To perish is to decay. That's the whole point of of labeling the food as perishable, saying this food will decay, right? If you go to McDonald's, for example, you can buy a a Big Mac, leave that in your car for like two years, and it'll be exactly the same as the day that you buy it. it. They have somehow engineered this thing to never perish, right? People have found them in landfills, and they're like, look, good as new right? I don't know how they do that. It's pretty cool. But on the other hand, though, if you go and you buy something that says perishable, it's going to stink after some time. And what that, what that smell is communicating to you is that it is in decay. And Paul's overwhelming, overriding point in this part of the chapter is he's saying, listen, to decay is incompatible with the coming age. You cannot decay and be in the part of the kingdom of God. Those two things are absolutely incompatible. And friends, I bring this up because, um, you know, I was thinking about some of the things that you might have answered to my first question this morning, right? Some of the things that you might have answered in terms of your greatest longing. Some of you actually have answered it in this way. You've said, Darren, I, I long to no longer decay, right? As I prayed for you in, in your physical condition, as some of you are, are experiencing that in your bodies, right? You know, that's a common thing that we pray for. Some of you said, yeah, that's actually the thing I'm exactly longing for this morning is I don't want to decay any further. Others of you, though, have, have prayed for love, right? I've prayed for a number of you to find someone to, to walk through life with, right? Some of you, uh, we've prayed for friendship, for deep and real and abiding connection with other people, Some of you, we've prayed for success. Some of you, we've prayed for financial concerns and financial provision. Others of you, we've prayed for strength uh, as you're going through times that are difficult. Others, we've prayed for experiences that you long to have. And I read off this list of of things that have kind of crossed my my desk, more or less, because what do those things have in common is they are all attributable to decay at at, at their, their deepest level right? If you, if you have a family member that you have a, a flawed relationship with, that relationship is flawed. The, the, the existence of that is a property of decay, right? It's all, you can trace all of those longings that you have, right? They all eventually at the, bo- at the end of the day, overwhelmingly at the foundational level, they are all properties of decay. And they all source, find their origin story In Genesis chapter 2, where God says to the man and the woman, he says, in the day you eat of the fruit, in the day sin enters your life, you will surely die. And of course, they don't, you know, their their liver doesn't stop working in that moment, right? Go on to live to like 900 something, right? But from that point on, they experience the decay of all kinds of things. And then to crown it off, to, to top it off is the decay of the body where they breathe their last, right? And it's important that you see this because it's Paul's overwhelming point. He's saying, if you feel like your property of perishing, right, dealing with that is optional, then it is impossible for you to live out your faith in accordance with how God calls you to and how he expects you to. That We'll see that at the end. But he's saying, How how could we continue to be in a perishable state if, in fact, the kingdom is coming? And then he quotes uh, this this wonderful passage here. Um, he, He looks back to the Old Testament, and he says, What will come to pass is this saying, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And as he looks at that, he then goes on to this point. He says you must transform from your state of decay to a state where you will never perish. And the way that God will accomplish that is listen to the, the absolutely uh, graphic nature of his language. How does God accomplish that? How does God take you and your decaying and all of that means in your life right now as summarized by those unfulfilled longings that you have right? and will, be, will climax on your deathbed right? How does God deal with that issue in your life? What is his answer to that? What is his solution to that? How is he accomplishing it? Listen to the graphic nature of it when he says, answer of God is to swallow death. He will swallow up death. Why in the world does he use that language, right? I have never once said to a a church member, but maybe I will now, right? I've never once said to someone who's like, Darren, really wish this about the church would change. I really wish you would get on this. I have never in my career ever said, I'm going to swallow your problem, (laughs) right? (laughs) Um, Now that would probably earn me like an early sabbatical. So maybe I'll try it. But why this language of swallowing death, right? Why not some other language, right? Why not nuking it or, you know, blowing it up? Why swallowing it? And of course, uh, it's because the story of Jesus Christ and his, the testimony of his life, the testimony of his work, is that Jesus himself would have to absorb it into the deepest part of his person. And friends, that is the heart of the Easter message. Right? The heart of the Easter message is in twofold. Right? You will, if you are in Christ, you will one day no longer decay. All of the longings that you have all of, the, all of the hopes that you have will be absolutely blown away by the provision of God in the coming age, right? The, 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 the way that you long to feel in your body is those of you who are experiencing this physically, you will be absolutely overwhelmed with how, what he, the body that he provides for you, the physicality of it, right? Those of you who long for healings in your relationship, healing in your relationships, Right, that you long to have a certain kind of connection to other people, in the age to come, it will, it will be beyond your widest expectations. And the way that he accomplishes that, the method of Christ to bring that about is to drink deeply of all that is wrong with you and with this world. And the passage refers to it as swallowing. Right? He says that Christ swallowed up death that it's been swallowed up in victory. And then he goes on to say, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, right? And this is where, where this is the answer to that. What Christ does is, in swallowing up death, he says, I will bear the weight, I will take the weight of all of your sins, all of your failures, all of the ways that you've turned against God, all of the ways that you've been mediocre towards God, all of the ways that you've preferred the things that are contrary to God, all of the the bad decisions you've made, all of your failures, all of your shame, all of your sorrow, all of your guilt, I will carry the weight of that. As the prophet says, surely he has carried our griefs, surely he has borne our sorrows. And as the scripture declares that, it offers to you, to be an heir of this promise if you will lay down your rejection of Christ and you'll say, Christ, I accept what you have done. I want in on what you have done. I want to be resurrected. I want to experience the imperishable. I want to experience life without decay. And if you will do that this morning, if you will come to him as you are, broken, flawed, sinful, messed up, Right? You know what you'll find? First of all, you'll find a family here of people that are just like that. Every single person here, led by yours truly, is deeply flawed, broken, sinful, messed up. But somehow we find ourselves in this position of saying, I am I cannot believe that Christ loves me the way that he does. And I want to invite you, if you're on the if you're kind of like on the outskirts, you're sort of like dating the church or you know. Hanging out with the church, whatever, whatever we call it these days, I want to invite you to come in. I want to invite you to say, Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that I give up my failures. Today is the day that I want to drink deeply of Christ's love, noticing that He has drunk deeply of my sin. And that is the, that is the argument of Paul. He says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. And what Christ has done is He's fulfilled all the law. And that's, by the way, why the New Testament is so negative towards legalism. You wanna understand one of the reasons it's so negative towards this and, you know, again, I'm chill about all things except legalism, you sort of like get, me, get my hair standing up on that, why? It's because so central to the work of Christ is in abolishing the law, it's in fulfilling it, is in removing the power of sin. And then he goes on to say, answer this question that I asked at the beginning, right, which is if this is true, if there is a resurrection, if there is an end to decay, if God is working this and accomplishing this, then how does that change the way that you live? Right? And that, that gets back to this question I asked, which is to say, you know, how, how are your longings, how are the things that you're hoping most for in life, the things that you desire most in life, how does this teaching, you know, show up in, in those longings? And if it's not, it's probably because you're missing it What does Paul say here? Does he draw any application? And I would draw your attention to verse 58. This is what he says. He says, in light of all these things, if these things are true, then what does that mean? Look at verse 58. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because the things that you're doing matter in the economy of God. Right? He's saying, if this teaching is true, then it gives you the power to endure. Right, And I hope that you can see, if this is not true, if there is no resurrection, then you should go out right now and drink deeply of every single pleasant experience that you can find. You should find whatever drug, whatever chemical, whatever person, whatever trip, whatever you can to somehow mute the pain of perishing because that's all you have. But if... The scriptures are true if Christ did raise from the dead as 500 plus people have personally attested, then this life is just the prelude to the main event. This life is just a a twinkling of an eye. It is just one moment that precedes a lifetime that matters 10,000 times more than the things that you think matter most right now, right? You're in a hard relationship you're, you're in a hard body. You're, you're, you're at struggling with all kinds of things. He's saying, bring those things to God, but seek the power to endure. Be steadfast. Be unmovable. And then he goes on to say, do the work of the Lord. Right? And see, that's why this teaching is so consequential. He's saying, look, if there's no resurrection, then why in the world would you want to go volunteer for Phoenix Hill Refuge on Saturday? Right? Why would you want to give up your time and go enter in to the challenges of other people to pray for them, to serve them? Why would you want to go set up and tear down? Why would you want to go join the diaconate in their work? Why would you want to go cut someone's grass? Why would you want to go uh, serve people that you don't like? Right? Why would you want to go to a home group where it's awkward sometimes? Right? Why would you want to do any of that stuff if there's no resurrection? The answer is you wouldn't. It's pointless. Your faith is in vain. See, but if the resurrection is true you will be the most steadfast and movable person who says I'm going to abound in the work of the Lord. I'm going to give myself the things that will last. I'm not going to chase experiences right now but I'm going to give myself to the age that is to come. And we do that because Christ has swallowed up our sins. Because death has been swallowed up in victory. So uh, let me just challenge you in this way. Let me challenge you to reevaluate how the resurrection is translating itself into your life. And that's true whether you're here or not. Uh sure if you're a Christian today or if you've been a uh, Christian member of the church for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. It's true for all of us. It's time to reevaluate our, uh, these questions. And it's time to come to Christ. And it's time uh, to be renewed in our steadfastness and in our work of the lord knowing that our labor is not in vain so would you please stand as we approach this table dear ironworks church the lord be with you lift up your hearts let us give thanks to the lord our god yes lord what can we do but give you thanks and praise for you have drunk deeply of our death so that we could have life you have drunk deeply of our sin so that we could have your righteousness you have drunk deeply of our brokenness so that we could have your wholeness and lord what we want to do now is enter into this most sacred worship as we join our voices with all the company of heaven in their unending hymn of praise let's sing together